0: Welcome to the Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Line Miller, your host, and we are having another conversation with a very innovative company today. But first, a quick shout out to our sponsor, Farm to Plate Software Company, committed to creating tomorrow's food business ecosystem today. And today we have with us Ryan Zinn. He is the Regenerative Products Manager at Dr. Bronner's. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Pam. This is great. I'm really excited.
0: Yes, I'm, I'm excited to dive in. And, you know, Dr. Bronner's might not be a company that everyone has heard about. Can you tell us a little bit about how they got started?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess going back in deep, deep history, you know, Dr. Bronner's um, was actually founded about 75 years ago here in the United States um, by a German-Jewish soap maker that fled Nazi Germany. He lost all of his family in the Holocaust and was really looking to sort of gain some, I don't know, grounding here in the United States. And one way that he knew how to do this was basically by just making soap using his family recipe. And his whole sort of, you know, kind of shtick at the time was to be able to sort of preach this message of, uh, you know, all of our sort of like, you know, uh, our our focus here, Dr. Bronner's, which is all one. And so he was starting to sort of preach that, you know, from, you know, the East Coast to the West Coast um, and then found that. Many people would come to take a soap and not listen to his actual message. So then he decided to put his message onto the uh, the soap label, and that launched Dr. Bronner's um, as a brand and the iconic soap label that's been around now for for many decades.
0: Well, that's pretty innovative a long time ago, and <laughs> what a story! You know, to lose everything and then kind of, as we say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get that old family recipe for soap and really make that into something. Now, he was on to, you know, his premise for his soap and all-in-one product was really innovative at the time, but is kind of uh, right in the in, on message for today's consumer.
1: Yeah, no, a- absolutely. I think one of the unique things about Dr. Bronner's and really the, the liquid soap, which has kind of launched our, our brand over the years, Um, is, like you say, it's it's kind of this all-in-one, you know, multifunctional soap um, that's vegan. Um, You know, this really was kind of this counterculture, darling small brand back during the 60s and the 70s. And over time, really began to enter the mainstream as consumers became a little bit more, you know, conscious of things like, you know, ecological production, you know, uh, recycled plastic um, and, and fair trade. You know, Dr. Bronner's, um, you know, has really looked to try to pioneer as much as possible everything we've done. So we were one of the first companies to actually go both organic and fair trade for um, our major raw materials for all of our ingredients for the soap. Um, We were the first company to actually use 100% post-consumer recycled um, plastic for all of our packaging, for our liquid bottles. Um, And as such, we're trying to continually evolve and challenge both ourselves as well as the industry to really push the edge of the envelope in terms of, you know, what does true sustainability look like, both for people and planet?
0: Yeah, I think you are definitely on the front end of that because other companies are trying to catch up in that space. A lot of them are, but that was some of the original premise of Dr. Bronner's initial product, you know, the whole okay. organically. Now the the um, heirs that have taken over the company, I guess, they, they've continued on with that mission, right?
1: Indeed. So this is one of the greatest stories I've seen kind of in family businesses in a long time. You know, as as a family business, Emmanuel Bronner, you know, launched Dr. Bronner 75 years ago um, this year. And over time, um, you know, his grandsons, uh, David and and Mike Bronner, um, took over the the company about, you know, almost 20 years ago now. And they really had this really strong commitment to um, organic farming, Um, fair trade, um, and to really begin to sort of build out kind of our ethical footprint, so to speak. Um, So really, they sort of challenged the company at that time to transition all of our raw materials, things like coconut oil and palm oil, uh, mint oil, for example, um, to organic. This was right at the time where we began to see in the marketplace the USDA organic seal that maybe people are, are familiar with. But nobody had really done this for soap you might see organic coffee or organic you know cereal for example but to actually have a product like soap or a body care product that actually had organic ingredients uh, was actually pretty unique but it really spoke to their commitment to producing something that was truly sustainable um, and then what we quickly found um, over time was that despite the fact that we were buying organic certified uh ingredients and raw materials we really wanted to have a better understanding of what was happening with all of the farmers, farm workers, and factory workers that were producing all of these raw materials for our soaps. And that actually led us to create a number of vertically integrated fair trade supply chains, which means that we've invested around the world in places like Sri Lanka, India, Ghana, and Samoa um, to build out actual sort of sister companies that are able to supply a fair amount of our raw materials directly to Dr. Bronner's. This means we can actually have a direct impact in the lives of many, many farmers all around the world. And one of the biggest challenges for farmers is actually to have some value addition in the country where they are working. So that led us to create mills, to be able to sort of process a lot of these products, to be able to send to our um, our factory in San Diego, California. And it also means that we have real transparency of what's happening on the ground. You know, all too often, whether it's body care or in the food sector, you know, you work with wholesalers, or you work with brokers, and you have really no idea what's happening throughout your supply chain. We really wanted to dig deep and figure out what was going on and to be able to have some way to impact that in a positive way.
0: Well, wow, and that is very innovative, especially in the time frame that you were doing that, because the to have a window in and actually feed on the ground with the farmers who are growing your source materials And like you said, that whole organic label was so much more common for foods that we eat, but not necessarily products that we use that affect our bodies like externally and and that whole idea. I mean, just the innovation, the innovative thinking at the time and, and doing the right thing by the people that were really critical to having that good quality product. I mean, it is a lot of investment. You know, you're trying to educate the farmers. You want to keep them farming. You want to provide some support in their communities. And like you said, if you're building mills in their area, possibly, you know, that's also bringing more employment to the area. So it's all a positive up-leveling all the way around. I, I just think that's great that Dr. Bronner's has committed to that investment in the different areas where they source materials.
1: Indeed, you know, I think our experience over the last 20 years has been that, one, we want to make sure that our product has high integrity, you know, both from a social and ecological perspective, that's number one. And then two, we want to make sure that whatever we do around the world really as a sort of, you know, I I often think of it as kind of a lighthouse, you know, in that we want to sort of provide a model that can be replicated and that can be scaled. You know, uh, we don't want to be the only company that's actually doing this. In fact, we really look to collaborate with other brands um, because the reality is, is that, you know, even though Dr. Bronner's is a a medium-sized company, um, you know, there is so much work to be done, you know, in rural communities around the world. And so that means that we get involved in not just working directly with farmers or building mills or commercializing sort of um, some of their harvest but we also do a number of fair trade projects that really focuses on sort of rounding out the true sustainability of a local community whether that's supporting you know education healthcare, um, you know really you name it we just uh, launched a plastic recycling project in Ghana um, this year as a way to provide not only additional income but also provide different ways that we can actually clean up the environment so we're really excited about trying out different ways to actually be a good sort of corporate citizen and to have a true impact on the ground.
0: Yeah. And you talk about the size of your company, but you source in, I mean, how many countries?
1: Yeah. So right now we source from about 20 countries um, all around the world, you know, some parts of Europe, um, throughout Africa, Asia, and the Pacific, um, even in in Latin America as well. And so really our goal is to be able to continue to, you know, provide all of the raw materials necessary for Dr. Barnes, of course, but we've also looked to diversify and sell to third parties. One thing that we really learned and I think was really a key lesson from COVID is, is that you can't rely on one single customer, and so that means that we try to sell a lot of the production that we produce on the ground um, to third parties in Europe and in the United States. And also look for ways for farmers to diversify. So most farmers grow more than one crop. And it's one thing to actually have an organic premium and a fair price for farmers for that one thing that they produce, let's say coconuts for coconut oil. But the reality is that they produce a lot of other things as well. And so for them to have a really, truly you know, stable livelihood and and a just livelihood, we are looking at different ways that we can actually commercialize and support their diversification, in large part because the world is a little bit of a crazy place. Um, We're entering into this crazy cycle of, you know, recession and climate change. And so we're looking for different ways to be able to support farmers. And to be quite honest with you, this is really kind of in our enlightened self-interest as well. One of the big takeaways from COVID, at least for me, was had we not had those long-term standing relationships with farmers and our local companies, we would have been, uh, you know, in deep trouble as far as being able to source and keep the lights on, so to speak. And so because I think we had that relationship, because we made that investment, we were able to weather sort of the disruptions and the early days of COVID a little bit better than other companies because of those relationships.
0: Yeah, building, you, you made the investment to build those partnerships Way before there was some kind of need to to test them, right? And uh, the latecomers showing up and saying, "Oh, I I need this or that." They're like, "Well, where have you been for the past however many yeah. years?" And you know, you are making the investment and doing the right thing by what Dr. Bronner's values are, paying that forward. But there's a lot of other benefits too you talked about diversification for the farmers to be able to grow different things. And that might not necessarily be something you need, but you're saying you're then trying to help them find additional uh, buyers for for those products. In other words, kind of just helping them figure out how to um, be be able to sustain their ability to farm. Is that understanding?
1: Indeed, I think, you know, our experience over the last probably 10 years or so now was one, You know, Dr. Bronner's has always been a soap company. Uh, We really sort of, you know, built up the brand on our liquid soap. That's probably the most iconic, um, you know, product that we offer. And over time, you know, we were able to develop and build out other product lines as well, including things like bar soap. And then we kind of, you know, we had this interesting moment in the marketplace where, um, we were making this delicious, beautiful virgin coconut oil out of Sri Lanka, and the market was really just kind of all over the place. And, you know, um, our leadership made the great decision to launch a food product, which was our virgin coconut oil for, you know, cooking and, and body care. Um, and that really launched us into a different way of, of in terms of how we saw ourselves as a company to be able to expand and diversify beyond just soap was a huge step for us, Um, but I also think it really paid dividends in terms of how we are perceived by both consumers and retailers, but also provided another outlet for farmers. That then led us to take that similar experience and look beyond uh, virgin coconut oil and look at other products as well. So, you know, we were working with farmers in West Africa in Ghana um, over the course of the last 10 years or so. You know, they supply all of our organic and fair trade palm oil. Um, But as I mentioned, you know, farmers grow a lot of other stuff, including cocoa. And so we worked really hard to transition them towards organic farming practices and supporting that process. And began selling to third parties, uh, primarily in Europe, because they saw the value in a really high-quality cocoa product um, that was organic and fair trade coming out of West Africa. Um, and over time, we were thinking, wow, we're doing all this extra work you know, to help supply other brands, which is great. Uh, but ultimately, we should you know, figure out a way that to you know, do something like that ourselves. And so based upon that experience, we launched a, a chocolate line um, almost two years ago now that really looks to source from many of our projects and partners, um, all of these different raw materials to create, create a new product line that can really highlight their story, highlight the sort of health and environmental aspects and then be able to sort of diversify what we do as well. So that's been a really a, a great learning experience and allows for us a different way to have an impact. And I think really one of the sort of underpinnings of the fair trade model is is really it's, it's it, what we call trade, not aid. The idea is that we want to create really just trading relationships. We don't we're not a charity. We're not a foundation. We don't want to give money away necessarily or even exclusively, but what we want to do is sort of make, make a big impact through for, for trade. And so we saw that as one of the best ways to do that.
0: Yeah. And I like that you're helping the farmers be able to, you know, stay in their farming and and you're giving them the resources to do that, you know, partnering with them. Like you said, you're not a charity organization, but you are providing a lot of resources to help those farmers either source their products in other ways. It's also helped Dr. Bronner's move from products we use outside of our body to products that are consumable, that, that still have that you know, that's what I'm hearing here. You know, you move to the coconut oil and the chocolate and uh, who knows what's next. I mean, you might know what's next, but yeah. just just enabled you as a benef- benefit to what you're doing and how you're trying to make this a positive all the way around. You're able to expand your business as well. And I think that's a great model for other businesses you talked about you're not a huge company, but there's a lot more businesses that are your size than are, than are the huge companies. And they can look to you as a model of, you know, how to operate responsibly and in a way that is works well for everyone. I mean, I, I know it costs extra money to do that, just to think that way, but you're the regenerative projects manager. So <laughs> tell me what kinds of regenerative projects are happening at Dr. Bronner's other than what we've already talked about, like what does that mean to be the regenerative product manager? I'm not gonna say that anymore. <laughs> <messed it> <laughs> no
1: problem. So, you know, I would say one thing that's relatively unique about our team is, you know, we, we have a team that really is dedicated to accompanying and working with farmers and our factories all around the world. Um, and really that that's a, a big investment. You know, most brands and most companies you know, they, that's, a, that's an extra cost that they probably have a hard time justifying. And so um, because one of the things that we're really clear on is we want to make sure that all of our products really have this integrity, um, the, the Bronner family has really invested in this capacity as a team to be able to do that. And so that means that we have to ensure everything that happens at the farm gate, you know, the farm um, all the way till it reaches um, our factory um, in San Diego really has all of those elements incorporated and really embedded. So for us, that means making sure that all of our projects and, and products are organic certified, fair trade certified and regenerative organic certified, which is a new certification that has come out in the last couple of years that really focuses on soil health and climate change. Uh, We need to make sure that we are, in fact, doing what we are claiming to do. That means we are audited by third-party certifiers um, for everything from human rights to the use of chemicals, um, all the way up to the product that we produce. And then a part of that, what we want to do is we want to ensure that we can have a real holistic approach at all of our projects. So some of the ways we do that is by focusing on our Fair Trade Fund. Um, We add an additional percentage on top of all um, payment is made to to, uh, farmers and farm workers that go into development projects, all of which is great. We also look to create other additional support projects um, beyond that because we really figure out that, you know, to have a truly stable and sustainable, you know, sort of community, It's not just a transactional fair price for a fair payment, those types of things. So we just um, launched a Montessori school in Ghana just a few weeks ago. Um, And this was in large part in response to a lot of the women that worked at the factory. What they said is that what we want to do is we really want to continue to work here. um, But child care is a big challenge for us. We want to make sure that we can afford to send our children to school. Um, So after a lot of discussions with a lot of the, the women and staff, um, what we found out is we wanted to create a, a primary school um, that really responded to their needs. So the women that worked at the factory could feel comfortable taking their children to school, leaving them there, know that they would get good instruction and that they were in a safe place while they were at work and that everybody kind of wins. And so those are some of our approaches that really focus on things that probably have zero to do with creating ingredients for a soap, um, but really allow for us to have a real positive impact on the ground. And ultimately, it's it's in our best interest. I'd be perfectly honest with you. You know, one of the things I see around the world, including the United States, is that, you know, our farmers are aging out. You know, the average age of a farmer is upwards of a 59, 60 years old um, and there's not a whole lot of younger people getting particularly interested in farming um, in part because the conditions and the pay are pretty miserable in most cases. So our goal is to try to create an environment that is welcoming for, for young farmers um, and that really starts at a very young age for whether that's a Montessori school in, in Ghana, or looking for providing opportunities for young farmers in other parts of the world. We really see that as part of you know, kind of developing this pipeline to support people um, as they kind of come into the, the quote unquote system.
0: Yeah that whole that whole community development and you're talking about like the women's issues that want to work with you but trying to solve the problems for them or overcome the obstacles and and that's one way in which you can serve that community and enable those farmers and those workers to keep doing what they've been doing but you're also giving back like in the agricultural area with you talked about like replanting things and can you share a little bit about that how you're
1: yeah absolutely so I think one of the advantages that we have as a company as many of our raw materials come what we call perennial crops. So these are, are trees mostly that you don't have to plant in year in and year out, like let's say corn or wheat, for example. And so as a result, anytime you plant a tree, that is a big investment because oftentimes it takes a couple of years to start to produce, you know, at least commercial um, you know, uh, volumes. Um, and it's it's a long term commitment to that tree. So many of the trees that you know we are uh, sourcing from are, you know, older than I am, you know, they're 80 years old, sometimes 90 years old. And so when a farmer makes that type of investment, we want to make Sure that it's justified in a way. Um, And so what we've been doing over the course of the last couple of years is supporting farmers with both training, um, but also financing, um, and in some cases um, outright grants um, to replant um, many of their fields in what we call agroforestry. So this is basically an approach that is farming with trees, right? And so oftentimes we think about farming and it's just this annual crop that we sort of harvest and we plow under, all of which is fine. We all like corn and wheat and soy. Um, But nonetheless, I think there's a real value to this agroforestry system because it allows farmers to really diversify, have a long-term approach to farming, um, and it allows them a little bit more flexibility um, when it comes to sort of market and climate shocks. So for example, in West Africa, they saw a reduction in yields last year um, for both and for cocoa, we wanted to make sure is in the event that there's any type of yield reduction or the prices go haywire, that they have other options as well. And this is a win-win really. It allows for farmers to be much more stable. They can feed their families. um, They can produce more on less land. um, And ultimately it allows for our projects to be able to really be, you know, sometimes the term gets thrown out a lot, but kind of like climate neutral. Anytime we think about any type of greenhouse gas emissions and climate change, Um, Farming actually contributes a fair amount of that, and so by planting these perennial agroforestry systems we're actually able to sequester carbon from the atmosphere and put it back into the soil where it belongs. So really it's truly a win-win, and our goal really is to be able to support farmers as they sort of convert much of their land back to this more traditional way of farming by creating the sort of infrastructure for that, the financing, the marketplace. Um, the processing, et cetera, that allows them to actually make that investment. So that's been really part of our pathway um, the last couple of years. And it also provides another way for farmers to, hey, I can make some money out of this um, and not just live, you know, harvest to harvest.
0: Right. And that's, you know, just the continuity of their ability to farm is is really the whole focus there. And and again, identifying what the challenges are and then trying to find solutions and ways to overcome them. You talked earlier about, you know, recycling, a, a recycling plastics project. And I know you do some different offsetting. Can you share that with our audience as well?
1: Yeah, indeed. You know, one of the big challenges, I think, for most companies these days is, you know, really doing a legitimate and true inventory of greenhouse gases and your carbon footprint. It's really challenging. It's 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 not so difficult to figure out, okay, well, how much electricity did I use this this month? Um, but as you get down into your supply chain, trying to figure out all of your try to, transportation you know, emissions, especially anytime you do that production level, that's, that's not uh, very easy to calculate. And we've been working on that for a number of years. And especially when it comes to agriculture, you know, sort of understanding the carbon cycle is more maybe art than science, but uh, we're, we're working on it. And so what we've tried to figure out is focusing on a couple of different things. One, we use a fair amount of plastic. Um, and so the reality is, is that despite the fact that all of our plastic is post-consumer recyclable, um, recycled, um, the reality is as much of that plas- those plastic bottles are not recycled again. And so there's a huge challenge in sort of the packaging world right now to come up with packaging that actually is truly Um, ecological, you know, is in fact recyclable, you know, there's a lot of places that, you know, just quite frankly, municipalities that offer plastic recycling. So ultimately, that goes into a landfill. So what we want to do is figure out how to truly take Responsibility for our plastic footprint, and we've tried to figure out, like looking at different ways to do that. And the offset market is one where you work with a third party and you try to sort of reduce, you know, sort of net out more or less what you've, you know, uh, produced. Um, and the reality we found that to be a little bit, you know, not really matching kind of like our our expe- expectations. Offsets are great um, as sort of this transition moment, but I don't really know if they make a true. Long-lasting impact. So, what we've been trying to focus on for both plastic and for greenhouse gases is insetting, focusing primarily within our own supply chain to address the any issues um, as applies as opposed to buying offsets from a, a third party. So that means that we're focusing primarily on reducing our carbon footprint, both on farm, but also at all of our factories. And then also addressing things like plastic as well. That means by collecting plastic, all, all the areas where we're working to ensure that we're able to sort of address that within our supply chain. Um, we're starting that first um, pilot in Ghana. And then depending upon how well that goes, we may be able to expand that out to other countries. But, you know, these are all kind of, you know, the scenario where you're kind of building the plane while you're flying it. So we're hoping to learn a lot uh, over the course of the next uh you know, a couple of months and years as we begin to deploy this out a little bit more. But I really think the future, you know, for any sort of business or social enterprise is, is really looking at insets, which is sort of addressing your own supply chain. Um, if you can, um, I know it's challenging um, and it's great to be able to buy carbon or, or plastic or water offsets um, as needed until you're able to actually do that within your own supply chain. But I think that's really the ultimate goal as in terms of taking responsibility for what you do.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ryan. I think it's so much better to have that introspective look at what you're doing and how you might be able to change that to, like you said, instead of buying the offsets, to, to look internally and figure out how you can do better and mitigate some of the challenges that you're you know continuing to have with what emissions you're putting into the environment or whatever yeah. that might be that's happening in your supply chain. Um, One more thing that's really curious and really unique about Dr. Bronner's is in your pay scales, how you do that corporately. I think that a lot of corporations um, will be surprised at how you do your pay structure, if you could share that with us.
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, Dr. Bronner's is really unique in this regard. Um, as a family company, the, the, the family could probably be gazillionaires at this point, you know, having you know been running the company for, for many years, even if they were to do everything organic and fair trade. But they've been really, really focused on ensuring that we kind of like walk our, our talk and in that regard. Um, all executive pay is, is capped at five to one. Um, so, if our, you know, the family members and our leadership would like a raise, everybody else gets a raise. Um, and so, that part I think is, is relatively unique in this day and age considering that executive compensation at other companies could be you know hundreds if not thousands times more than their lowest paid employee um, and we also make sure that we really focus on a living wage for everybody in the company that means that they can actually afford to live a dignified life wherever they 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 live and so the majority of our staff you know and workers live in san diego county in california um, and to be able to do that, we also provide a fair amount of other benefits, including profit sharing. Um, Dr. Bronner's is one of the only companies that provides pretty much 100 percent healthcare. Um, we have no deductible, and that allows for us to be able to make sure that we are really taking care of our, our um, you know, our, our team, you know, in large part. Um, and because you know we have this 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 cap on executive pay, that also gives us additional funding to be able to provide you know money to great causes, you know. And so since We've gone to two, 20 years now. Um, we've given away over 100 million dollars to great causes, and everything from you know increasing the the minimum wage. Um, certainly, we've worked on animal welfare issues and other campaigns. Of, of late, we've focused quite a bit on funding great. Uh, treatment and research regarding psychedelic medicine and mental health. And so we've been really looking at different ways that we can have an impact beyond just sort of our, our business footprint. And that's one thing that I think is really sort of inspiring for a company to do. Ultimately, you know, they could just kind of, the, the family could just sort of, you know, take on those profits, but we've just been really focused on giving away, you know, millions of dollars each year to great causes on positive impacts. you know, both, you know, domestically and internationally as well.
0: Yeah, that and that is really unique. Thank you so much for sharing that. We have covered a lot of different <laughs> topics here today. Indeed. And thank you for bringing, you know, some of the uniqueness of Dr. Bronner's to our audience, because, um, you know, it's not in the news every day. And I think mm-hmm. it's important to see what some companies are doing out there and how how they're making a difference. Ryan, is there anything else you would like to share with our audience before we go today?
1: well i would just say you know um our chocolate is delicious and you can actually find it at many more retailers and even online so i would encourage people to either check out our our web store and our website which is drbronners.com and you know certainly take a look for you know soap or uh, chocolate when you next time in the, in the grocery aisle cuz uh you know the, the chocolate's delicious and uh, it goes to a great cause
0: Brian, thank you so much for being on our podcast today, and we're excited to be able to share Dr. Bronner's with our audience. I also want to, I also want to give a shout out to our sponsor Farm to Plate, enabling better food supply chain management. Today, you can find out more at farmtoplate.io.
1: Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.